Well, good evening and welcome to the Alpha Course. Uh, my name is Keith Collins. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview Christian Center. I'll tell you a little bit about me. I don't have much of a story, but I'll make something up in just a few moments and tell you a little bit about me. Um, how was the food tonight? Good, good, excellent. All right, well, I'm going to explain the course a little bit and just give you an introduction tonight. But if you don't get anything else out of tonight, you had a good meal, right? And you'll have a good meal every night from here on out as well. Oh, well, this, this, this first night of the Alpha course is exactly that. It's an introduction to a course that's really an introduction, right? The, the entire course is meant to introduce some thought about the Christian faith. What exactly is it? What does it believe? Um, but what we do in, the, in, this, in our course is we just run this for 10 weeks, and we recognize people can't always be at every 10 weeks, but we encourage you to be it as much as you possibly can. And so you'll hear how to sign up later on in the course if that's something that you would like to be a part of. But my guess is, like many of you, you had a friend that said, hey, would you come to this 10-week Alpha course, or maybe they didn't even tell you it was 10 weeks. Are you hearing that for the first time tonight? Uh, that could be a concern. Uh, or maybe it's sometimes you get like a, a little mail notice or a door hanger and you just show up here and you don't know anybody. So tonight I just want to give you an introduction as to what the course is about. But we recognize that you get invited to something at a church you've never been to, uh, maybe a type of an event, a setting that's unfamiliar to you, and you're going to be asked, would you like to be a part of this for the next 10 weeks? Uh, you could be a little concerned. And so a number of years ago, as we were doing the course here, we, we put together a little bit of a David Letterman top 10 list. How many of you guys even know who David Letterman is, is anymore? You know, I'm recognizing I'm getting older here, and my jokes are as old as I am at least. All right. Here's our, our top 10 list for the evening. Oh, you know. There used to be people that worked at this church, and then they all got fired. Uh, do you know how to fix it, Frank? You have that kind of power? Uh, that was a really funny joke, what I just did. Can you just laugh for just a second? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, well, let me just say what, actually what, what the course is about without being a clown. Uh, this, uh, this course was actually created by uh, a fellow in London, England, had an in- interesting background. He studied at Cambridge and Oxford, so he's got a little bit of credentials. He was a, uh, a lawyer for a season in his life, and then he became a pastor. And he developed a course that was, that was about questions that people ask about life and about the Christian faith. And, and the course just took off, and it started in London, England, but it's gone all over the world. Uh, 20, 25 million people, I think, have been a part of the Alpha Course. 60,000 different venues have either put this on, everywhere from hospitals to bar rooms to churches have put on an event like this. So what we, we've been doing this for a number of years, probably about 2001, I think, we started doing the Alpha Course. And so we've had a lot of folks come through the course through the years. And, and at one point, and you'll see how old this video is here, but we just stopped and asked some people who had gone gone through the course with us. What was it like and what'd you get out of it? And so we're going to run a quick little video here for you and that'll let you see here's what the course is about and here's what we do every night over those 10 weeks. So John, if you can run that, let's go ahead and do that. Or does that not work too? <laughs> Hi, I'm Keith Collins. I'm the senior work. pastor of Lakeview Christian Center. And I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the Alpha Course. It's really a unique course. It's been held in churches, universities, prisons, coffee shops, 
Over 27 million people have done Alpha in 169 countries and 112 languages. Here at Lakeview, we've been doing the Alpha course since 2001, and we've seen thousands of people attend our course over those years. You know, one of the things that we've discovered is that the Bible actually provides real answers to some of the most difficult questions that we as people are facing. The question that I needed answered most that had been with me for decades was why am I here? You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, but who determines who's right or wrong? And I just knew that somebody was wrong. (laughs) They all couldn't be right. Somebody had to be wrong, so I just assumed they were all wrong. (laughs) I was just looking for something, you know? I tried what the world offered me. I went through the program. I tried to be sober there. I tried to find my own sense of spirituality, um, and it, it wasn't working for me. Was there a God? Is the Bible real? Who is Jesus? Um, Why should I read the Bible? Why should I go to church? I had many questions. You know, in our 90 mile an hour paced life, sometimes one of the most valuable things we can do is just pause and stop and ask good questions. Like, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? And what really is the meaning of life? The Alpha Course is a place where you can ask those kind of questions in a non-threatening environment and listen to other people think through those things as well. But it's not just about asking questions. It's also about relationships and friendships that get formed. People who come together and share life and have a time to share about their own experiences together in a non-threatening, non-pressured environment. I decided to come to the Alpha course mainly out of curiosity. I said, let me go see what this is about. If I don't like it, I'm out of there. I'm sitting close to the door. One thing that I experienced when I first walked through the doors was the friendliness and the acceptance of those around me, um, like they had known me my whole life. The world's pretty rude, so you know you, you, you show up at Alpha expecting maybe people to be that way, but it's just they, they're not. It was it was friendly. It was fun. You know, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just dinner at a church environment. It wasn't somber or sober or uh, or stiff. There's a lot of people there too. You know, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't think, I didn't feel so centered on it. I didn't feel, uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel alone. When I first came to Alpha, I was really afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen. Everyone there was very, very, very nice. And they welcomed us. We felt very welcomed immediately. So the fear vanished, although I was wondering what we were going to do for those 10 weeks. On a typical evening in Alpha, we'll come together, we'll have a great meal. Then we'll have a brief teaching, and then afterwards there'll be a time of discussion where people can just share their own thoughts about the topic that was presented that night, and you can listen and interact with others as they think through some of the questions of life that are being discussed. Alpha is a, it, it's a place where you can think. It's a place where you can challenge your thoughts. You can challenge other people's thoughts. And it was accepted and, and encouraged. It really got your thought process going, got you thinking about why you do the things that you do in your life. And what are you basing that information on, and why do you believe what you believe? You know, we were learning, but at the same time, it was fun, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, we laughed a lot, we, uh, we joked a lot, and, and we were serious a lot. You go, you listen, and you talk about it. It's a place that's warm and welcoming, and you could have your questions answered and not be afraid of the answer. They're, it's not threatening. Um, you could leave if you want, if you want to. But if you stay, you can learn so much. This was a place that I could, I could think. This is a place where I could discuss and have intellectual conversations. I didn't have to leave my brain at the door. Whether you're asking questions about life or about Christianity, or maybe just curious about what the Bible really says, 
Why not invest 10 weeks in a course that's designed to probe those very issues? Come check it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. But if your experience is like so many others, we believe you will enjoy it and you'll form friendships that will last a lifetime. It has totally changed my life. Uh, my relationship with my husband, my children, most of all the Lord. Um, I definitely think that no matter what the issue is, the Alpha Course has the answer to. I think you should come to Alpha because it'll change your life. It changed ours and we've invited some friends to come because we thought it might help them too. This was a true learning experience for me. I want to invite you to come and join us. How many other things can happen tonight? <laughs> uh, well, that, that's just a taste of what folks have experienced as they've done the course. You know, I think, I think everybody can identify with this. I don't talk to too many people today who don't have some kind of a story that their life is so overcrowded, so overpaced, so much going on, so much to keep up with. There's a, there's a lot of life trying to be lived in these little spaces of what, that we call every day. And, and I'm not exempt from that at all either. But you know what you do when you start living life with all the margins filled up and every moment accounted for is you stop thinking about life. I mean, you don't have time to. You just do the next thing. And you just do the next thing and do the next thing and try to figure out how to do the thing that's on your planner. What about stopping to ask questions about my life and where am I at and why am I pursuing these things and what's really, really valuable to me? Well, I've lost my monitor up here. I've lost all kinds of things. Is this working now, John? Did Frank break it? Frank, who acted like he knew what he was doing, he broke it. We've moved on from the jokes, Frank. I'm sorry. But this isn't working now. All right. Apparently, we're just not going to have technical help today. All right, well, give, let me give you a thought. You'll just have to kind of listen. I usually have some kind of eye candy to follow some of these thoughts. Here we go. Here we go. All right, a fellow named Oz Guinness wrote a book about journeying through life. Right? It's called The Long Journey Home. He says this, Most of us feel immortal in our teens and 20s then move through life so fast in our 30s and 40s that we lose sight of the journey, think only of our careers. Even in our 50s, we barely hear the roar of the rapids several bends downriver. Have you awakened to the journey of life? Or are you among those drifting down the years? Are you among those so caught up on the project of themselves that they choose not to hear the flow of time? Are you living and examined Life. I'm not care. I'm back into here. 
Or are you living in the hand-me-down ideas of, oh, that's a loaded thought, isn't it? Right? Some of us just find ourselves, we're just living life. But where do we get the idea to live it the way we're living it? To aim for the things that we're aiming for? To believe the things that we believe? We just seem to have inherited them. And next thing you know, that's all we know. Are you open to the full interrogation of life? Or are you closed to the search because you believe what you've always believed without question? I guess if you luck out and the first thing that you happen to stumble across is what you've always believed and it happens to be the right thing to believe, that's not a bad posture. But, you know, life evolves and changes and our experience evolves and changes. And we're going to have questions when we're 50 years old, we didn't have at 20. We're going to have a different set at 70 years old. And how do we answer some of those questions? And I love the fact that this course came out of a book called The Questions of Life. Because we've got questions, right? People are asking questions. Actors are asking questions. Shia LaBeouf says, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm living a meaningless life and I get frightened. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could, it could go away. You never know. And he says, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. Right now, Shia LaBeouf, like the rest of these guys, I'm going to give you some thoughts from to start. You know, they've lived life at a level and in categories that a lot of us would like to live our lives. We'd like to be people who've accomplished some things, that are known for something, that we've acquired fame or wealth or been successful in categories almost convinced that if we could just have that, then this, there's something about the inner noise of our life that would get settled. But yet that's not the story of so many. And it's not going to be the story that this thing likes me tonight. There we go. Everybody recognize Tom Brady in a younger day? Where are we at here? Tom says, why, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's, it's got to be more than this. I mean, th- this can't be all it's cracked up to be. And a fellow who was interviewing him, Steve Croft, with 60 Minutes, says, well, what's the answer? I wish I knew, Brady said. I wish I knew. I love deflating footballs. I mean, I, I love playing football. <laughs> playing football. And I love being quarterback of this team but at the same time I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and he wouldn't be alone Ted Turner some of us would recognize Ted started the cable news industry during an interview with Barbara Walters once asked him what do you mean by success what to you is successful he replied I think it's kind of an empty bag to tell the truth you have to get there to really know that Money doesn't buy happiness. Neither does honors or position and awards or trophies. Jim Carrey was an actor who accomplished a few things in his career. And he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's, it's not the answer. A number of years ago, Ralph Barton was a cartoonist about 100 years ago now. And he had been a world-renowned cartoonist, wealthy man, 
came to a point in his life where he just wasn't finding meaning with all of his success and his recognition literally around the world. Uh, he ended up committing suicide. He wrote this in his suicide note. He says, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours a day. It's kind of interesting in this caricature that he draws here is of Ernest Hemingway and of a man who left this in his suicide note. Uh, I don't know if you knew this about Ernest Hemingway. You might know some of the more famous things about Hemingway. He was a silver medal of military valor in World War I winner. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 1953, the Nobel Prize in 1954. In 2001, two of his books would be named to the list of the 100 best English novels of the 20th century. But Ernest Hemingway committed suicide in 1961. Even amidst all of our great success these days, our technology, our our lives that seem to have so many gadgets and and ingenious activities in it, uh, I saw a statistic recently that said in the 2000s, since the turn of the new millennium, suicide rates in the West have increased 33%. And I would bet right now in this room, some of you have, perhaps in the last year or two, attended a funeral of somebody who committed suicide. So there's there's an obvious reality that there's something about the lives that, that we want to experience, that we're meant to experience, that go deeper. And when those deeper elements are missing, there's something that that's desperate about. Our lives. We're trying to answer some deep questions. What is the meaning of life? Right? This isn't a philosophy class, but we're all asking that question. How do we deal with guilt? And that, that's a reality, right? Without embarrassing anyone, and by the way, no one's going to ask you about your past while you're sitting at your tables uh, over the course. But you walked into this room tonight, and everybody in the room's got a resume. Everybody's lived life with other people made choices. Some of them perhaps were very embarrassed about. Some of them were ashamed of. Some of them brought consequences into other people's lives. And and now we're living on the other side of that. We're trying to answer this internal guilt that we experience. How do we make sense of human suffering? What's the cause of evil in the world? I mean, you can't go too long without a headline of some shooting. We almost had a situation at LSU. I heard there was a little bit of, of a scare up there, but it's, it's getting to where you, you can't go to Walmart without being concerned. Where does this all come from? Why do people live lives that drive them to make those kinds of decisions? And then we're just some of us who are trying to pursue connecting with God. We've got questions. How do I pray? What's God like? How do I connect with him? Why does he seem like he's not around? Why does my life feel like it's so distant from God? Well, these are the kinds of questions that the Alpha Course is designed to interact with. Right? We don't have every answer, but there are a lot of answers. God's got answers. And if there is a God, and that's what we're going to explore together, how does he want to reveal himself? What kind of a relationship does he want to have with the people that he created? Well, that's kind of what the Alpha Course is about. Um, just give you a feel for the Course uh, personally, I, I don't come from a super 
go to church kind of background. We went to church growing up. Uh, I'm a local. I'm, I'm, I grew up in River Ridge, so I'm not from too far from here. Any other River Ridge folks in the room tonight? Always got a few. Good to see you, River Ridge guys. All right. I probably vandalized your house, and I should apologize to you afterwards. <laughs> Just part of my background you should know about. Um, Let's see, grew up here in New Orleans, uh, didn't really have any interest in doing anything like this in a church, uh, uh, went to LSU for a while, came back, graduated from University of New Orleans with an engineering background, went to work in the CBD, uh, doing engineering recruiting for about six years, and, and then I came on as a pastor here in this church and have been doing that for 26 years. Um, Married before all that. My wife and I have been married 28 years. We have seven children. Uh, yes, we do own a TV. Uh, yes, we do know where they come from. I just couldn't keep her off me. But anyway, um, I could say that because she's not here tonight. But Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, way back when, I'm not sure what I would have done in a setting like this. It would have, it would have been an awkward setting in some ways. Uh, you know, I grew up when, when your mom prepared you to, to go to places and she would kind of like tell you what you could and couldn't talk about. Remember back in those days? And she'd say, you know, like the three things you just didn't bring up out in public, you know, politics, uh, sex, and religion, right? Uh, I mean, there goes TV, right? Politics and sex are gone. I mean, we're going to shut the tube off. But that's the great thing about when you come in here on a Tuesday night, and because I know religion can still be a weird kind of a category, right? You know, you just got your guard down, you're hanging out. Maybe you go to Thanksgiving dinner and you walk in, you sit down at the table there, and it just feels a little hot inside. And you make that comment, and your your weird uncle just all of a sudden just kind of turns evangelical on you. Hot brother, hell is hot, and you don't want to go there. Let's talk. Uh, all right, that's not the Alpha Course, because when you walk in here, you know we're going to be talking about religion. There's no surprises here. You're going to talk about what you believe and things that you like, didn't like, what your experience was like. You're going to hear other people tell those stories as well. And each week is going to try and answer some kind of a question that has to do with what we believe has to do with something that the Bible may or may not say. Something about God and what we think that he's like. So it's a great setting. I think one of the guys in the little video said, you know, you're, you're coming in a place, there's not high pressure. You're not being asked to give the right answer. You're being asked to give your answer. You know, what, how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? And if you're not a big talker, you can just sit at the table and just listen to some other folks uh, contribute some ideas. But I promise you, if you jump into the conversation, you get a lot out of the course and you get to know some people. That was one of the things that the, the guys on the video pointed out. You know, you sat with folks, you made a meal with them for 10 weeks. You actually will make some friends. I mean, there are people who actually, after the course is over, they still get together and connect. But anyway, um, if I'm coming to this course a number of years ago, right, I'm thinking, you know, in fact, you guys all got a little manual here? You guys see your little manual? Everybody grab your little manual here with me. This is, this is kind of how the, the topics get generated. They're going to be outlined in this little booklet. And just a few thoughts that you can follow along with. It's not, not super detailed, but just some things to get you, get you thinking. So session one, is there more to life than this? And, and, you know, I can remember asking that question as a, as a teenager. So I know you don't have to live too far into life to, to hit moments where you're just doing a quick survey and you're looking at where you're at, how things are going, how it feels, and you're just wondering, is this it? Is there more to life than this? 
and you venture into something like this, you know, for, for me, you know, that first little section there, page eight, points out a thought that I think I can connect with. What, if any, has been your experience of Christianity? Well, I mean, I grew up going to church, and so I've been around ideas about God, ideas about Christianity my whole life. But if I had to pick from that list, boring, untrue, or irrelevant, um, boring definitely would have been my experience. It just felt like the whole religion category was filled with people who were really, you know, the older ones were really serious about this. Some of the younger ones, midlife ones even, not so much. But it was almost always contained. It it stayed in the building that they visited on Sundays. We didn't talk about it at home. We didn't talk about it driving in the car. It wasn't like there was this shared experience that was, that was making such an impact on anybody's life. It just seemed to have this compartmentalized, sitting over there reality. It didn't feel exciting. It wasn't almost ever that I could remember a source of joy. You know, if, if God was real, it didn't feel like I had relatives or friends who were experiencing something that was real. For them, it was just, it felt like they were just going through the motions. And I was just going through the motions. There wasn't this great excitement taking place, right? Like when you pull into a church parking lot, this is just not what you see, is it? (laughs) But you know, if there is a real God out there who really wants to connect with us, it would just make sense that there are people that arrive early on Sunday mornings for church with a big G on their car for God, right? They've got brats going and the barbecue pits flared up and there's high fives on the way in. Woohoo! God, baby, yeah! Today, man, today, God. And they're just excited. But I, you know, I had no experience like that anywhere getting around anybody who was, was religious. So I thought Christianity is just, just boring. It just mustn't have anything to do with stuff that matters. And then one day I actually got around some people who had experienced God being near to them in a way that was different. And, and it, it left an impact on their life. They had stories to tell and they were excited about things. And they talked about God, which was weird, right? Because I wasn't used to people talking about God outside of a church. They were actually excited about this. And then I started reading the Bible. And I saw the stories of people's lives in Scripture. People have just doing their thing. They had religion in the category of their life. And then they had this, this meeting with Jesus Christ. And he so impacted their lives that they would change so many dimensions of their lives to, to go on this adventure of following him and getting to know him. And then the more I got to know people who had encountered God that way, the more I saw Christianity was anything but boring. It is quite an adventure to be lived. Well, maybe you're one of the other true categories. Maybe, maybe you'd say Christianity. Uh, I think that's just untrue. I just, don't, I just don't believe that at all. Now, I will say that there's not a lot of people who actually take that posture. I, and I think the, there's a difference between saying something is untrue as though it's false, made up. This is all just a bunch of people got fooled years ago and they passed it on and everybody's been fooled ever since. But I will say this, Christianity has elements to it that are not untrue, but hard to believe. It's got some elements to it that when you stare at it, it's like, come on, really? I mean, it involves faith. And you'll learn more about what faith really is as as you look at the course. 
It involves things that are supernatural. So there's God doing things and there's stories being told where, oh, there's no way that could have happened. Well, what if there is a God out there who doesn't get bound up by gravity and he's not bound by time and he's not limited the way you and I are limited and he can do things that you and I can't do. All right, that's different. And maybe for some that's hard to believe, but that's not untrue. It's just different than what we've known. But I will say this, because I've been to talk to a lot of people through the years about what they believe. And I think most people aren't in a place where they just think God doesn't really exist and I totally don't believe that and that's all false and people who believe that are just missing, missing reality. Most people, I think, are aware of this. That if I really, really believe this thing, there's a cost involved. And that makes it hard to believe. I right, think for a moment that there really is a being out there called God. And he really does exist. Well, that means he is a particular way, right? We're not inventing him, right? I'm not giving you permission to say, well, God, according to what you believe. Uh, you do recognize nobody in your world is according to what you believe, right? They are what they are. You meet them, and you learn who they are, and you might have to make some adjustments, but you don't ever meet, you know, my wife isn't my wife according to what I believe. She is who she is. And God is that way too. You don't get to invent him. If he exists, he existed before we did. And he already is a certain way. That means he already thinks a certain way and desires certain things. And if I were to believe in him, would that change anything about my life? If he wants things a certain way, am I comfortable with the idea that that might mean I might have to think differently or live differently? And I think that is one of the hardest things about considering the claims of Christianity and whether or not I believe them. Because if I acknowledge that God is real, then I might have to make room for him in my life. That last thought there, is Christianity irrelevant? Does Christianity talk about life in a way that really even matters? Does it show up? And I mean, I've got limited time here. Is this thing going to show up in a space that matters to me? Well, answer this question about anything in your life. When does anything become relevant to you? Because there's a lot of things that we, we don't really care about. Well, it becomes relevant when it becomes something that we need in our lives. When there might be a crisis in our life, when there are deep impacts of things in our lives that we need to go outside of ourselves to find, right? Um, If you're you're a parent here and you you brought home children, uh, you know, my story of bringing home my first of seven was I needed help. This, this was a little creature that I didn't understand and then installed a lot of panic and a lot of freaked out. How, how do you raise this child? So for the first time in my life, I'm reading books on parenting. Parenting became relevant at a certain moment in my life. Well, as you go to do life, you know, it didn't take me too far into life. I got to be a teenager and the reality of God became relevant even at that stage. And maybe for some people, it's when they're in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s. But at some point, that internal condition begins to wake up to a thought, is there more than this? And in that moment, God becomes extremely relevant. All right, let's jump into tonight's question here. You'll see on page 8 there. 
There's one particular Bible passage that Jesus makes an enormous statement in. It's in John chapter 14, verse 6. You'll see that over on, on page 9 there. Let's see if I've got it on my screen here or not. I don't. Help me out there, John. There we go. John 14, 6. Jesus answered and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. All right, it's a huge claim by Jesus Christ to say that he was three things that are truly very relevant to our lives. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? So just for the remainder of our time tonight, I just want to take that passage apart and just, just think about it for just a few moments. Right? Your first section there says, Jesus said, I am the way. Right, without question, every one of us are trying to find our way through life. Right? We're looking for a path. We're looking for a way to live, a way to do relationships, a way to bring meaning into our life and reward and things that are good. We're, we're looking for some way. Right? These are the, where the questions come from. Is there more to life than this? What am I doing on earth? What's the point? Is there a purpose? Where am I headed? So if you're, if you're a young person here tonight, right, you're, you're trying to find the way. To live your life and to invest yourself in different things. If you're in midlife, uh, this is why we call it midlife crisis, you're re-examining the way, right? And if you're in the older years, you're, you're, you're seeking some kind of lasting meaning. You suddenly are cluing into the idea that life here doesn't last forever. Is there more? Is there something beyond just my physical existence here? But Jesus identified that there'd be something on the inside of us that, that was going to be stirring, that we were going to have questions that was going to come from the inside of us. He, he said things like this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus knew something was true about every human being. There was an inner condition inside of us that at some point, just like hunger and thirst does for you, it was going to feel that way. You were suddenly going to have this feeling that came to you that it's not all okay on the inside. Maybe you came here tonight, you had a busy day, didn't have a chance to to grab a meal along the way. You know, somewhere around four o'clock in the afternoon, something on the inside began to tell you, we're hungry, right? It's not okay in here. Hey, you, you need to do something. You need to get something out there and get it in here because we're not all right in here. Jesus recognized that's how your soul is going to feel at some moment. You're going to be doing life and four o'clock is going to hit. And suddenly your soul is going to begin to send this message. Hey, we're not all right. We don't feel all right in here. Hey, you need to get something out there in here, right? And then thus begins the quest of life. We're off and running. We're going to try and find something from relationships to money to success to a project to work on, something to come satisfy that inner hunger. And Jesus comes along and makes this huge statement. And he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you're looking for. I am the thing that satisfies that hunger pain inside of you, that sense of thirst that keeps wanting to reach out for something that will satisfy it. Jesus makes an enormous claim. He is that. He goes on and says, I came, right? Jesus Christ came to the earth that they might have life and have it 
abundantly. So there's this condition in us. We feel like we're missing life. We feel like we're missing out on something. And so I don't know what you do to meet that. But I, you know, I came, this is an old clip. Uh, again, I'm glad some of you are old in here. You can appreciate some of these old clips. Uh, John Stossel was a fellow. He's an interesting guy. He used to be on 2020 and do some of those types of TV shows. And he did a, a special program about people just pursuing happiness that gives away this reality. All of us are, are trying to find something out there that can help us with whatever feels like it's missing in here. Check, check this video out. Everyone wants to feel good. While many of these things do make people feel good, if not great, they don't last, say the researchers. Disappointment awaits those of us who pursue happiness through hedonism. Drugs, sex, shopping, food even. They don't provide lasting happiness. Fame doesn't work either. I grew up convinced that true happiness was being a sports hero. What could be better than the joy of success, the applause? At the Super Bowl winning quarterback asks, is that all there is? Probably the biggest myth is that money's the answer. 25 years ago, when college students were asked, what's important? Most said family, or developing a meaningful life philosophy. But today, most students say, being very well off financially. You've just won $10 million. Well, if that's true, then people who win a lot of money should be happy. But are they? Meet some lottery winners. Teresa Brunning of Colorado won a million dollars. Janetta Williams won five million in the Arizona lottery. Curtis Sharp collected five million in New York. For a time, I seemed like I was in a dream world, you know? Did you come down to Earth? Oh, yes. I came down, you know. I came down to Earth. I, I got divorced from my first wife and... Married my second wife, and I spent a lot of money on the wedding. You know, it's... $100,000 on a yes, grand wedding. Yes, that didn't last five years, you know what I'm saying? Maybe he didn't win enough. Sherry Gagliardi and her husband won $26 million. I was numb for three years. <laughs> <laughs> but you must have been happy. Um, yes and no. I, uh, I got a divorce in, uh, two years after we had won. Studies of lottery winners have found that within a year, most say they are no happier than they were before they won. Money didn't buy you happiness? No, of course not. You buy a therapist, you know, marriage counselor. (laughs) People have a misconception about having money. You go out and you go, oh, that's what I want, I'll buy it. A couple weeks later, it's like, that emptiness comes back. Then what? I mean, how many suits can I wear? How many hats can I wear? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh, come on. I noticed that none of these winners is offering to give the money back. It's nice to be able to buy things. Good afternoon. Would you like to try attorney for ladies? Life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness has become the new American dream. Psychologist David Myers, who spent six years examining hundreds of studies on happiness for this book, says once you get past poverty, money doesn't help, no matter how much stuff you buy. The stockpiles of CDs, the closets full of clothes, the... uh, big screen stereo TV systems doesn't do it. Clearly it doesn't do it. Uh, People having achieved that level of wealth have now adapted to it and it takes 
new increments, a faster computer, a bigger TV screen or whatever, to reduce the joy that the initial purchase gained for them. To reduce the joy. You see it in babies. Give a three-month-old a mobile with two objects and most like it. But researcher Jeffrey Fagan of St. John's University says if kids are given a ten-object mobile and then you try to get them to go back to the two-object one, they lose interest or cry. We get used to having more and it doesn't work anymore. That's right. And that's why today with double the incomes and double what money buys for us, we're no happier than we were 40 years ago. Yeah, what, what is it about us that happiness, contentment, fulfillment can just seem to be so elusive? Like we're having such a hard time finding something that answers that inner hunger. Right, well, could it be that we've misplaced something unique about God? Something about our created existence was intended to connect with God a certain way. Help me out here, John. Here we go. Ray Pritchard wrote a book called The Anchor of the Soul. He says, we are made to know God. We are incurably religious by nature. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, has some concept of a higher power, some vision of reality that goes beyond the natural. There's something that we know that is out there. We know there's something out there and that intrinsically is in us and we know there's a condition in us that drives us toward that. The great St. Augustine said it this way in his prayer. He says, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Well, maybe that's what Jesus was after when he said, I am, I am the way. I'm the way through life. I'm the way to get that inner turmoil settled, to to find the reality on the inside that seems to be so elusive. All right, so Jesus makes another claim here. He says, I'm the way, but he says, I am the truth as well. Now, this one takes a little bit of thought because we, we live in a day where analyzing the idea that any one particular thing could actually be true is, is a challenging thing to do because our, our culture makes it feel as though there's all kinds of things that could be true simultaneously at any particular moment. As a matter of fact, you know, what's true for you may not be true for me, may be true for somebody else. Uh, okay, we don't live our lives that way in any category except cr- sort of crazy philosophy when we start to think that way. We might have a lot of different personal preferences. We, we might have a, a style of doing that. It's different than what somebody else does. But that's not the same as saying there are all kinds of truths out there. Jesus actually acted like there was a truth out there. And we, you know, we live our lives that way as well. Right? Think a thought here with me. Help me, John. There you go. Does it matter what we believe? Think about that for a second. Right? When it comes to religion, I know sometimes religion is a room full of smoke and mirrors and it's just up to you and we say things about religious thought that we wouldn't say about anything else. All right, here's a couple of thoughts. Isn't it enough if people are just sincere? Right? If, if people just sincerely believe something in their own heart in this whole area of faith, isn't, isn't that just enough? Well, let's see if we think it's enough. Here's a... a 
suicide terrorist Mohammed Atta actually wrote this note before flying a plane into the buildings in New York. He said, you should pray. You should fast. You should ask God for guidance. You should ask God for help. Continue to pray throughout this night. Continue to recite the Quran. You'll be entering paradise. You'll be entering the happiest life, everlasting life. From the note, he sounds sincere. But does his sincerity make what he is saying true? That one who flies a plane into a building and takes innocent lives, his next place is going to be paradise. He seems sincere about that, but does that actually make it true? I can grant him sincerity without necessarily saying, well, that's, that's true as well. You know, there was a religious group, a, a cult that was in California a number of years ago, led by a man named Marshall Applegate. He had convinced his followers that when the Hale-Bopp comet traveled through this portion of the universe, that on the tail end of the comet, there was a spaceship on that comet. And if he and his followers were to commit suicide, then their souls would be whisked away on board this ship and taken away from all the troubles of Earth. They actually took their lives, quite a bit of them, not all of them, but quite a few of them took their lives. I have to believe they really believed that if they did that. They were sincere in their belief. But when you and I go to think that through, does anybody conclude, ah, see, there really was a spaceship behind that comet? No, because sincerity doesn't create truth. We can be sincere, but we can also be sincerely wrong. How about this thought? Does it matter what we believe? Some things can't all be true at the same time. When it comes to religion, somehow we, we would like to take the posture that it's a personal deal. So, you know, you can believe what you want to believe and somebody else can believe what they want to believe. But, but here's the challenge in that. What happens when those belief systems directly conflict with each other? And one belief system turns to another one and says, eh, not you. And another one turns to a belief and says, no, not you either. Now, if you've not studied religion, maybe you haven't come across this, but Islam, and again, I'm just presenting, I'm not trying to take pot shots at anybody here, just because you'll, you'll see these religions don't agree with each other. Islam says they are unbelievers who say God is the Messiah, Mary's son. The Messiah, son of Mary, was only a messenger. So the Quran teaches something about who Jesus Christ was. Christianity presents Jesus Christ as God himself come in the flesh. So God became a man in the form of being born as Mary's son. But then the Quran also says Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah. Say not Trinity, desist, it will be better for you, for Allah is one God. Glory to him. Far exalted is he above having a son. So Christianity comes along. You know, we, we date our 2000. We're living in the, the year of the Lord, 2019. So we go back 2019 years to the birth of Christ and the era of Christianity. 600 years later, Muhammad comes along and, and writes down some ideas. And he looks back at Christianity and says, you know, you were told this and Christianity claims this, but that's not true. The, Jesus Christ was not the second person of the Trinity, and he was not God come in the flesh. You need to stop believing that. So Islam turns to Christianity and says, not true. 
Mormonism says this. In the beginning, the head of the gods called a council of the gods, and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people. So the origins of life through Mormonism's belief system is that there were a number of gods who came together and made a decision about creation. But we just read Islam, and Islam believes in one God. So Islam says, no, there's one God. Mormonism says, no, there's multiple gods. And where did these gods come from? According to Mormonism, remember that God, our Heavenly Father, was perhaps once a child, immortal, like we ourselves. And he rose step by step in the scale of progress, in the school of advancement, and has moved forward and overcome until he has arrived at the point where he now is. So, that's a, well, that's kind of not what Christianity is saying. Christianity says that God has always existed as a spirit being who chose in a moment of time to come to earth as a human being. But Mormonism teaches that mortal human beings could progress through some scale of progress to where they would go from being mortals to being gods. If you add other religions to this conversation, it makes for an interesting conversation. Buddhism doesn't believe in a personal God at all. Believes in a higher form of thinking and a higher consciousness that if one could train themselves transcendentally, they could achieve to a different level of existence merely by thinking a certain way and getting in touch with that. But they don't believe in a, doesn't believe in a personal God. All these things can't be true at the same time. But Jesus Christ is going to make an enormous claim. He's going to say, I am the way and I am the truth. He's going to select himself to be the truth among all kinds of truths. And what the Alpha Course does is it lets us talk about some of these things. Let's just explore. Has he got some credentials? Can he back this up? He just came, showed up, made some big statements, and then who knows where he is today? Uh, No, there's more to his story than that. Right? He's going to say one more thing here. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the life. And that's an extremely relevant thing because I think all of us are looking for some kind of life, right? The good life, a happy life, a satisfying life, a meaningful life. But Jesus made a statement, and we saw it earlier in something that he says. He says, I, I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right, so this is the mission that the God who says he created everything, he sent his son to earth for a particular reason. Jesus says, I came so that you might have life. What, what, what did he mean by that? What was he trying to accomplish for us? Jesus spoke to massive crowds, just like, you know, we've got a crowd here tonight. He would have spoken this to people who were attentive and then heartbeats, blood pumping in their veins, listening. Their eyes were working, their ears were working. And they're hearing that Jesus is on this mission to give them life. That's kind of confusing. Right? Check my pulse. I'm, I'm good, Jesus, but thank, thanks anyway. I'm okay. Oh, he knew that they were alive but he also knew that there was something else that makes up our lives. He came to give us life in that sense of the inner condition of our soul. 
something on the inside of man, according to the Bible, is actually dead. Even though we're alive on the outside, the Bible describes a condition in us where we are dead on the inside. Right? There's a last story I'll tell you. If you've ever read the Bible or ever just opened up the first few pages, here's the story of where we all come from. God creates, so there is a God who's personal, he's a creator, and he made human life. And with that human life, he had a plan for that life. And that plan involved an intimate connection with God. So God formed out of the dust of the ground a body for humanity, a man, and he then breathed his life into man. And the Bible says that man became a living soul in that moment. So what was man made of? Well, he was made of natural things and he was made of spiritual things. God put a spiritual life in man. Then God set men in the Garden of Eden to exist and to rule the earth, to fulfill God's purpose through his life and and told him one thing. You You guys know the Adam and Eve story, right? One thing that you can't do. All these other trees, all these other things you can do. But there's this one tree that I've set in the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're never to eat of that tree. Because the day that you eat of that, you will surely die. It's the first time the word die or anything about death is introduced in the Bible. Well, sure enough, we know the story. They get tempted, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They get tempted one day and they go over to that tree and the temptation is too much. They've got to figure out what was it about this tree that we need to have. So they take from the tree in disobedience to God and they eat from the tree. And on that day, the Bible says that Adam and Eve died. But if you follow the story, there's no corpses, no bodies laying on the ground. What happened to them? They died on the inside. That breath of life that God had placed inside of them, they had lost that breath of life. That internal soul that God had given to man was now separated from God himself. They still had a pulse. They could still go about their business. The world had changed in a lot of ways in just that one decision. But when Jesus comes, he comes to announce, this is why I'm here. I'm here to return to you what was lost all those years ago. Listen, that's the message of Christianity. That there is a God who loves his creatures. There's a brokenness in every creature and every human being. That brokenness is on the inside and on the outside, but it's on the inside in such a way that it drives us through life trying to satisfy this hunger. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm the bread. I'm what you're looking for. I'm what can satisfy you on the inside. And that's why we get statements by guys like Mr. LaBeouf. I don't handle fame well. Actors don't typically. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. So that's a 21st century statement. It's a God-sized hole. Here's a 17th century statement from Blaise Pascal, a great physicist and inventor and mathematician. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. All right. The Alpha Course. Uh, why did somebody invite you to this? Uh, why, 
why are we happy to do this for I don't know how many times we've, we've done this, umpteen gazillion times. Uh, nobody's going to pay for anything, right? We're going to pay for dinner every night, and we're going to have you guys. You're welcome to come. Bring guests next week, whoever you want. Why do this? Uh, because seated in this room are quite a number of people, but I can just speak for myself. I, I know what it is to be starving to death on the inside. And to encounter God in such a way that he's no longer some faraway idea concept that's not having an impact on me. But for him to become in me a satisfying source of joy and meaning and direction throughout my life. I I got to experience that. And in experiencing that, it changed me forever. I would have been one of those guys that you'd have never heard me talk about religion or anything that had to do with God. That was an awkward subject and I wasn't all that interested in it, even though I believed that it existed. Until I met God at such an intimate level and got to know that he wanted to be in a relationship with me. And he could do that through Jesus Christ. He could come and give back to me what was lost by Adam and fill that emptiness. Uh, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor. I definitely didn't grow up wanting to talk in front of all kinds of people. But the impact that God had on my soul changed who I was. So why do we do this? Uh, Because you're seated at tables where people have a story like that in their life. Where this God that they knew about from a distance came near to them in such a way that they knew him personally. And he's changed their lives. So what will we do in the next 10 weeks? Well, we'll, we're going to eat together. Uh, We're going to explore different questions. We're going to examine some things that Jesus says about himself. You get a chance to to talk about your own story, your own experience, what it's been like for you to be involved in religion or not be involved in religion. Talk about the ways that you like some things about religion, don't like some things about religion, and listen to other people tell their stories. Um, If you'd like to do this, sometimes we ask, folks will ask, hey, could I bring somebody back with me? Maybe you came tonight and, and you'd like to, to bring someone with you next week. Hey, bring whoever you want next week. We'll figure out where to put them. We still have a few chairs, but if we bring too many, we'll figure out. We'll solve that problem. If, if you've got kids, some folks ask, hey, I, I want to come back, but I've got kids. I, I can't do a babysitter. Uh, we've got a kids program downstairs. That you, if you brought kids tonight, they will have loved what they did. It's a great, fun time had by those guys. Bring kids back with you. Uh, if you've got children with you, we'd love to do it. The only thing we ask you to do tonight is if you'd like to be a part of the course moving forward, uh, I think your host and hostess have got a little form you can fill out just to let us know you're going to be coming back next week so we make sure we got food for everybody. But um, come back, join us. If you can't make every week, we understand. Everybody's got stuff coming up in their life. Make as many weeks as you can. And we look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. So thanks so much. Nine weeks left. So you already did the first week. You're you're there. You're close. All right. See you guys next week.